This episode of Developmentor is sponsored by This.Labs. This.Labs is a framework agnostic consultancy firm that specializes in JavaScript and offers services including open source consulting, mentorship, and training for teams and individuals. If you would like to learn more about their services, visit their website, this.labs.com. Welcome everyone to the Developmentor Podcast, your source for interviews and content on careers in technology. I'm your host, Grant Ingersoll. Our goal with every episode is to highlight the different roles that go into building a technology company by interviewing people in those roles. Along the way, we also want to showcase all the different paths one might take to get into that position, whether it's the traditional four-year college degree approach, or perhaps self-taught, or anything in between. Today's guest is a great example of someone who did the traditional four-year approach by getting a bachelor's in computer science, but then did the, what I like to call, work a little, study a little approach of moving back and forth between working and more schooling, ultimately getting her PhD in data science in 2013. Please welcome to the show, Kavita Ganesan. Kavita, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Grant, for having me on your show. Yeah, it's great to have you, Kavita. And, you know, I've hinted a bit that you took an approach that I'm a pretty big fan of, you know, whereby you, you did your four-year degree, you kind of got it out of the way, right? And then you yeah. went to work for a bit and then back to school for more advanced degrees. Why don't we just start off with you filling in the details around that and give us a proper introduction to yourself. Sure. I came to the United States in 2004 uh, to pursue my master's degree in computer science. And uh, while I was doing my computer science degree, that's when I got introduced to the whole field of NLP and I really loved it. Um, and then I graduated and then I started working. And I just was a, I was a software engineer at eBay for two years. Then I realized that I really, really still want to do NLP. Uh, and I realized that you can't do NLP uh, back then, as just a software engineer, you need to be a research scientist. So, which is what got me into the PhD program, focused on like text mining, NLP, and search. So, I went back to UIUC to get my PhD in the field. Um, and then, as I was about to graduate, that's when this whole data science world was growing. And then I just jumped right in. So, right now, I'm a data scientist at GitHub. And before that, I was at 3M Health Information Systems, also as a data scientist. And in both places, I, I'm highly specialized in NLP. So maybe, you know, for those who aren't obviously familiar with the term NLP, this natural language processing, as I like to call it, it's basically helping computers understand what humans are talking about. You know, you know in your own words, what actually goes into being an NLP data scientist these days? So the first thing I think um, in the field of NLP is being creative. There's no one way of solving a problem. You can, um, and you don't really have to always develop sophisticated models. You need to have your creative hat on at all times. You need to understand what text you're dealing with. So if you're dealing with programming languages, what, what are properties? Um, and how that translates to text analysis. If you're dealing with uh, spoken languages, you need to understand the properties of spoken languages. 
Um, so I would say one is being able to develop models and two is having a very big streak of uh, creativity. Yeah, so, so perhaps, you know, delve in a little bit more about what you mean by developing models. Like, so for instance, what are some problems you've worked on in this space as a NLP data scientist over the years? Yeah, so a very simple example is, let's say you have lots and lots of documents to deal with, and you don't want to read each and every document. So one easy way to know what's in a document is by surfacing um, what you call topics. So keywords that characterize a document. And the way you can surface such documents is using um, concepts from text mining and NLP. And this can be as simple as just looking for keywords that are frequent in each document and then surface that to the user. So that's a very powerful but simple application of uh, NLP. So kind of like what we as humans, if we were, I, I like to think of what you're describing as is effectively the computer skimming the page and, and you're looking for key concepts that kind of catch your eye. And in many ways, what you're then doing is training the computer to do that same kind of thing. Is that, a, is that fair? Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now you, I think you hinted at you. So you worked at 3M, you're currently at GitHub, two very different domains. You know, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about, you know, let's, let's spend a little bit of time on the healthcare domain and, and, and working as a data scientist in that space. I mean, what were some of the kind of the key challenges and, and uh, things that went into being productive in that role? So the healthcare world, the, the uh, focus is very narrow. Your domain is actually very narrow. So the, the, the vocabulary is limited. Um, the, even the set of problems are quite, I think, limited, I would say, compared to other domains. Uh, so the, the, the area that I worked on is analyzing um, electric, electronic health records, uh, which are completely unstructured, narrated by doctors. So the biggest problem I faced there was um, these records were very hard to, it's very hard to come up with a structure from those uh, records. So the NLP problems were like trying to figure out um, what structure within all these unstructured documents. What's the structure? So come up with logical uh, sections, um, try to make sense of what each section in the clinical record means. Um, so those were the kind of problems that I had to deal with in uh, the healthcare site. So maybe, for instance, like identifying what drugs the doctor prescribed or what drugs the patients told the doctor they were already on or perhaps like extracting diagnoses and things like that. Is that yeah. a yes. fair understanding? And I imagine, you know, that's, that's pretty complex also because you're in this really specialized domain and obviously like you don't have a... Uh, well, you have a doctorate, but not you're not a, a doctor of medicine. So, you know, how do you come in and approach... Like this, you know, this combination, obviously you have these skills of knowing what works for NLP, but then you also, I would imagine, have to learn a fair bit about the domain you're in as well. How do you approach yes. that? So when I joined 3M, uh, the, the terminology was completely confusing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I did was they had this sales training to train salespeople about how to use the correct terms. So I attended a couple of those sales trainings just by <laughs> through interest and just to grasp up the field. 
And that actually really helped me, like, even gave me pointers to where I should be looking at. Um, because there are some very specialized websites um, uh, for like drug names, yeah. uh, ICD-10 codes. Um, so that's how I got started. And then I just, every day, I'll just keep reading about these different things. I, I just kept learning as I went, but it was a very um, steep learning curve. Yeah, and imagine then, you know, shifting then to GitHub into what I would maybe call engineering analytics. You, you probably felt at least somewhat like you're back in a, a space you feel more comfortable with, you know, having done computer science for a degree. Yeah, that's right. I think um, the GitHub world is much simpler for me than the medical world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then, you know, you do a lot of work on actually structured you know much more structured and and rigorous type of content at this point right because it's it's code but then it's text within code and, mm-hmm. and things like that so what are some problems you've worked on on the let's call it this engineering analytics side of the equation yeah so recently i worked on uh, classifying languages uh programming languages huh, okay. uh, so at github we have um we have a tool called Linguist, which does classification, but using heuristics. So, we, so I wanted a model that, um, that's lightweight and uses just machine learning um, to predict the language of, of source code files. Um, so the nice thing about this is that I knew the properties of programming languages. I know that they use special characters of a certain kind um, like in Python, you'll use um, semicolon for method signatures. Um, so, I, so that helped me build uh, a supervised model uh, using all these properties that I already knew about. And the only technical challenge was which model to, to utilize. And I ended up using um, an, a neural network model, which was... A, a very simple neural network because we had to classify uh, 300 different languages. Hmm. So we need something that will be complex enough to support all these different vocabularies. Um, so that was an interesting project that uh, we completed with my, one of my uh, colleagues. Right. So to kind of summarize and reflect back, you know, you, you essentially have all these examples of programming languages because you're GitHub and all the world does their programming on GitHub. And so then you, you effectively trained uh, a model off of those examples to then be able to, to predict what else is going to happen. Um, You know, and, and so I imagine that a lot of your day to day really involves kind of this going back and forth between looking at the data and the examples and then writing code. It's kind of, you know, look a little, test a little, write a little. Is, is that kind of a fair capture of, of what goes on day to day in the life of a data scientist or, or perhaps expand on that? Um, so a lot of it goes into analyzing the data you're going to work with. So for example, even for programming languages, I had to look at different language files to understand what are its properties. I know the basic properties, but what else can I come up with? And then what kind of cleaning that needs to go on so that the text is more analyzable? Um, so I think at least if, whenever a new project starts out, 
um, 15 to 20% of my time goes into analyzing the data that I'm going to work with and how to process yeah. it. Yeah. So you're kind of developing a little bit of an intuition as you go there as well, which, you know, going back to the word scientist in the title is, you know, effectively the same as developing a hypothesis that you want to test against. Yes, that's right. So that takes quite a bit of time. And once you have that intuition, then you will know uh, through experience what models you're going to use or what approach you're going to use. And then you go ahead and develop it. At that point, it's more of a software engineering problem. And once you have your model in place, then you have this evaluation step. So you want to know how, mo how well your model is doing. So that takes another like 20, 30% of your time when, it, when you start a new project. Yeah, very interesting. And, and, and you mentioned software engineering there. And I would imagine because you also have this computer science degree, you can, you know, some data scientists maybe are better on the math side and not as strong in the programming. Others are stronger on the programming. It sounds like you've got a pretty good mix between having really solid background in computer science and kind of the software engineering background, but you've also, you know, done the work to, to understand the theory and the math and all of those kinds of things. You know, perhaps reflect on how this combination of getting a PhD in, you know, effectively data science combined with the, your software engineering work over the years has benefited your career? So the way it's helped me is through, uh, with, mainly with communication with product because uh -huh. the language that they speak in is usually very high level, very product focused. And I noticed that a lot of data scientists who come from very different backgrounds like statistics, they don't quite uh, grasp that as easily as someone who comes from a computer science background, because that's what we deal with, developing um, software, developing products. So I think it's helped a lot with communication and also to demonstrate um, some of the models that you develop. I think we, the people with the computer science background, have a lot more skills in you know, coming up with demos or web apps uh, to showcase what you've developed. Um, so I, I would say, and also um, show and tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that notion of communication is a, is a theme of our listeners who have listened to now is, is a pretty strong theme that's come out in all the interviews I've, I've done to date. And it's, it, it's, it's an, a really interesting one to pick up on because I think, you know, when you hear a term like data scientist, you know, you think, uh, you know, this is a person who spends all day, you know, looking at spreadsheets and data and, and really in the weeds of, of the data and trying to, you know, run experiments. And yet you've hit on, again, this theme that is, hey, you also still need to be able to communicate with other humans. And, and mm -hmm. that, that's so important. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah. I, perhaps one last question kind of on your career and, you know, and, and again, reflecting on this notion of data and statistics and science, I, I think a lot of people, when they ask me about roles like this, it always kind of comes back to, you know, how much math is involved? How good do I need to be at math? And I won't ask you how good you are at math. I, I know you're good at math, but I will ask the other question, you know, how much of your day-to-day -day is math? And, and does it require you to be an expert at math or is it more like, I, I guess, shall we say, like a, a consumer of math? I think you're more of a consumer of math. I would say I use math maybe 
like 0.5% of my time because the math is already done for you in the tubes. In many of the so, tubes. Yeah. yeah. So for example, if you're using neural networks, all that back propagation math is already done for you. So you're basically using the tool, but you also need to understand how the tool works, how the, uh, like intuitively you have to understand how this thing works. So I think you don't have to be excellent at math, but you need to have a very good intuition of how this works because that's how you can make your models work really well. So if you were, for instance, wanting to invent a whole new model, you might need to be an expert at all the math. But if you were, maybe not even a whole new model, but the whole new algorithm for a new model, you might have to invent the math. But if you're consuming a library or, or leveraging an existing piece of functionality, which what I'm hearing you say is the large majority of the process, then you just need to be a consumer of it. Yeah. At some at some point, you may need to get down deep into like how some sort of weights are computed. So that's the only time you need the real math. Yeah, uh, that's usually during optimization phase, and not so much during like development phase. That makes sense. And and by the way, I love that you used a math formula to to compute how much time you spend doing math in your job. So. <laughs> Uh, spoken like a mathematician. I think I've, I, I had one other guest on who did the exact same thing when asked uh, asked about the math. So I, 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 as a mathematician, I love that. <laughs> no, so Kavita, that's that's great on on your background. I want to shift gears a little bit as as we look forward into the interview here and talk a little bit about the opportunities and challenges. You know, and and, I, and I'm sure if if our audiences, as I would expect them to be, you know, there's not a day that goes by that isn't a talking about AI and, and effectively the underpinnings of AI are data scientists like, you know, you and me who work on this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you see as kind of the really the, the opportunities and challenges, the key things that, you know, folks like you and me in this field really need to be focused on in the, in this day and age of work? Um, so opportunities, I would say there is a lot in the machine learning side of things. Um, a lot of people talk about it, but not many people know actually how to implement it and make things work. So I see that as an area where if people want to focus on, it should be machine learning. We have a lot of people who are, who are excellent at analytics, where you need to do a lot of visualization, you need to be good at SQL queries. So I think machine learning and NLP are good areas, uh, good opportunities. Um, and in terms of challenges in my workplace and in my field, I see two types of data scientists. One is people who fake it, and one is people who actually know their stuff. So you'll have to somehow be better than those who um, fake it, because there are lots of them. It's easy to hoodwink the business that you really know data science when you don't. Yeah. So, and there are lots of that going on. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, and, but, but there is also an interesting piece in between. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I do especially see a, a, an evolving role here of somebody who knows and can understand the really hardcore backend, but also then wants to effectively be the translator for the business, right? And so mm -hmm. 
faking it maybe is a little strong for that role, but, but, but like you said, it, it, they don't necessarily have the depth on the back end either. Is, is that something yeah. you're seeing too? Um, yes, yes, a lot of it. And you need to have both. You should be able to communicate with the business, but you, should, you, you need to have the goods to back it up because that's how you do good work for, for the company. Yeah, yeah. No, and that makes sense. Um, you know, maybe spend a little bit then too, because I think one of the big buzzwords in data, or not buzzword isn't the right word, one of the big challenges in, in this role in data scientists is how do we make sure uh, we're creating ethical or non-biased models? You know, perhaps reflect a little bit on how you think about the problem of, of building good models. And, and by the bias here, you know, you and I talked at our uh, panel the mm -hmm. other day. This doesn't necessarily need to, need to mean all the grand societal challenges around bias. It can be some of the more subtle things of just, hey, people's tendencies to pick one thing over another, right? Yeah, a very uh, recent example is click bias. I was analyzing clicks and um, to improve the relevancy of... Um, a search system and yeah. uh, I noticed that all the clicks were at the top of the search results yep. so you want so that introduces a bias so you're, you're only going to learn based on what appears on top and you may um, forget about all the results that appear on the bottom so I was, I'm still thinking about it but about how to not um, incorporate this click bias into um, the models. So maybe by not fully training on that or randomly um, picking something from the bottom of the results. So I'm still thinking through it, but that's a very clear example of uh, a bias in my daily work. Right. And this probably then goes back to something you said earlier, which is a good chunk of your job is developing this intuition, but then I think what you're hitting at then too is you also kind of always have to be checking that intuition. Is that is that a fair assessment of of one of the major challenges here as a data scientist? Yeah, that you have to keep checking. Like you may assume that this is going to work, and then when you see the results, it's really bad, and you still have to go back to your data and see why you're, why why it's not working the way it should. I mean, you saw patterns in data visually, so these patterns should appear in your results. So, yeah. so that's a lot of checking, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, at, at some level, right, there's, uh, you can only check so many things too. So I think just uh, recognizing that you're going to get it wrong sometimes and hopefully it's just not egregious in the way that you get it wrong, right? Because, this, because we are training the machine to think like humans, you're going to have the problem of false positives. Yeah. You need to account for how much you're willing to tolerate um, and also educate the product side of your company or the business on it's not going to be perfect if the machine does it. <laughs> yeah, I, I always like to remind people that, you know, sometimes you need to just check what your baseline is and, yeah. and uh, the baseline is, well, how good are humans at this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we all yeah. know we're fallible too. Yeah. No, that, that's 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 really great, Kavita, and, and uh, you know I want to thank you for coming on the show and giving us a little insight into your career, and as well as thinking a little bit about what's coming forward as challenges for for people in the space. I think you know you hit on some really key things there around communication, around being really solidly grounded 
in in the science aspect of it. Uh, talked a lot, you know, a bit about you know some real opportunities as data is growing around machine learning and NLP. I then want to finish up with the question I ask everybody, which is, or all of my guests, which is, you know, as you reflect back on your career to date, you know, wh what do you wish, you know, I don't know, 18-year-old Kavita or 22-year-old Kavita or whatever, you know, the younger version of you, what do you wish you, uh, what advice do you wish you could give yourself back then that you've learned around your career? Yeah, I wish I knew more about startups, the world of startups and venture capitalism and um, product development. I knew how to do coding when I was 18, but I did not know how to make it a product until maybe when I got to my 20s, I guess. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So this kind of this idea of, you know, it's interesting because I think the technical folks like you and me have become more into the business side than ever, right? And the business folks are more tech savvy than ever. And, and I, I think, you know, kind of what you're saying then is, is really this get educated on more than just your own domain, right? Yes. And, and your yes. own little piece of education, you know, the, whatever it is you studied in school, make sure you branch out from there. Yeah. And because that can inform how you um, utilize your skills. Yeah, uh, they down the road. Yeah, or or even they evolve too, right? Especially as you yeah. move up the chain, you know, you become less tied into being, you know, specifically on a skill and and more about like I, I think like what you you said so nicely earlier around communication and and relating to people and product and all that. Yeah. Hey, Kavita, that's some really great advice there. I want to thank you again for joining me today on the Developmental Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Grant. Thank you for having me.